0: Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and I believe that God has something in store for you. He's got something in store for me, and I want to be right in the middle of it. If you would, before we get into Scripture, why don't you just kind of leave your Bible to the side right there and, and lift up a hand or two, and let's worship God for a minute. Lord, we love you in this house. We're thankful that you got us up out of bed this morning. And that we've got another day that we can experience your presence and work in your kingdom. God, we're interested in heavenly things, eternal things today. We're turning our focus toward you. And we want you to speak to us, Lord. We don't just want to hear ourselves talk. We don't just want to hear somebody sing or or hear a good word today. But we really want to hear from you, Jesus. Speak to us. Our ears are open in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 7. If you have your Bible with you, if you don't, Brother Blake is going to bring that up on the screen. And we have been talking about the prophets Elijah and Elisha. We're going to go a little deeper into that. Actually, we're not going to talk that much about either one of those prophets today, but in the middle of their story, there's a a very interesting happening that we want to focus in on today. And that is in Second Kings chapter 7. We're going to start with verse 3. And it says this, Now there were four leprous men, four leprous men, at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank, and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Key verse right here. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Amen. I want to talk to you about unexpected ways, unexpected ways in which the Lord works. And if the Lord's working today and everything that we're looking at, I think it's got to be said the Lord's working in unexpected ways. Amen. This is a different time we're living in. If you grow up in our part of the world in this... Uh, centralized location in america you know that the weather here can be crazy it can be it's been called bipolar it's strange the running joke has always been the 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 speed at how quickly the weather will change the other day we left our house uh headed to a a family member's house and in order to get there we went toward picket And it was just beautiful outside our front door and everything. And we drove a little bit down that road. And all of a sudden, there was the biggest storm. I mean, just, you know how you see like the wall of it, the side of it. It was just massive. How quick the weather can change around here from cold, you know, know, ice over sometimes to, you know, a month later, you got a tornado coming through here. That's Arkansas. It's unpredictable. But... Unpredictable is not a word that we normally use to describe God. Normally we're using words like amazing, powerful, magnificent, mighty. We don't use the word unpredictable that much. Because maybe it doesn't seem like a compliment. Or maybe it doesn't seem like we're lifting him up when we say that. But in our journey to understand who God is and know his nature. We can come become overwhelmed by how unpredictable he is. Paul said that we know in part about Him. We don't know everything about God. If you try today, I want to know more about God, but until I'm with Him, I'm not going to know everything about Him. You can't completely understand His nature, and there's things about Him we're never going to understand. I'm going to give you a prime example, bring it home to you today. God is not bound by time. Amen. Now you, at a certain point this evening after you've had your dinner and even your coffee, you're going to get tired and you're going to look at your watch and realize what time it is and that you need to get to bed because you got stuff in the morning you got to be up for. That's not how God works. You wake up late in the morning and you look at the time and you realize you're late for work. God doesn't have to worry about stuff like that. He's not looking at a clock because everything that he does is done in a perfect amount of time at the right time. He doesn't worry about a clock. All the things he does are perfect. In our text today, we see that he's not obligated to demonstrate his power in the way that we see fit. He doesn't have to take our instruction on how he uses his power because he's sovereign. God is sovereign. What that means is supreme ruler. He's holding all authority. It's all in his hands. We don't hold any of that authority. It's all his. And so he does what he wants to, when he wants to. And because he's sovereign, he works in the way he wants, regardless of our opinions. God is God and God is great. He's going to do what he wants to do. So let's get some background to the scripture here. You know, I like old things. I like really old things. And so. We we had our men's prayer breakfast yesterday and had an awesome time. But we got there was some old stories being told and shared around the room. Brother Iris shared some really old stories that I loved. It was just really good, enjoyable. Had some laughs, you know. I love hearing about stuff like that, and I like vintage stuff. I think old cars look so much better than new cars today. Amen. Somebody said, "Amen." There'll be some men in here say, "Hallelujah." They just look. Nicer, you know. And I like the old method of doing stuff. I'm attracted to that for some reason. It may take a little more effort. But, you know, they make a knife the old way. It'll last longer. I've noticed that. When I make coffee at our house, I've opted to go the old style route. Where they ground the beans and they boiled the water and they poured it over it. It wasn't automatic to get the right amount of temperature going through all the coffee at different times. Make it a real good cup of coffee. This week, and y'all going to think I'm just crazy. I shaved with a safety double-edged razor. I might have a problem. I enjoy old stuff. I don't know how to explain it. That's just, I want to feel what they felt. Why they, you know, the effort that went into it. And there's sometimes it was just the better way of doing things. There's some older ways of doing stuff that just was better, period. And I like to take that approach to scripture. I want to understand what they did, why they did it. I want to dig into that. And that has to be done by understanding the context of it. Okay, so let's look at some context today. If you're going to understand this in this story, we just read sin and rebellion have once again led the people of God into a place of total loss. They were surrounded. They were in the midst of a famine. People were starving. And King Jehoram was desperate. He was desperate. Most powerful man in the area. And he was desperate for an answer. And, you know, the power of God is most effective sometimes when someone really gets desperate. Revival is most likely to happen when somebody really gets desperate for it. And they seek the one with all the power for the answer with desperation. And that is sort of what happened here. And it's amazing how often people will allow pride to move, will will, will stop a move of God in our lives. We'll let that pride get in the way. Uh, Pride will bring down... Relationships because of division. And marriage teaches this principle well. Any newlyweds are going to find out real quick, there's going to come a time when you've got to lay down your pride for the joy in a marriage. And you learn to quit being so selfish about it. And uh, most fighting in a relationship is a result of one or both sides just having a whole bunch of pride. You know, I tell my wife, and she's here, she's here this morning, so I've got to be more careful, but I tell her all the time, I'm not a prideful person. I'm just right most of the time. Oh, my. <laughs> this week, this very week, we went through a, a drive through car wash, and... And we're driving through this car wash, you know, and that thing's supposed to work right. I mean, somebody made that to work right. We go through this car wash and we're sitting there halfway through it and we hear this loud pop. And I'm thinking, I'm just hoping that one of these, you know, machines that are wiping all the junk off the vehicle just hit it too hard or something and it's all right. And Sister Kirsten looked at me and she said, I think that just took off our back wiper. You know how sometimes you can see it on the back from your rearview mirror. And I looked back there and I said, no, that didn't take off our wiper. She said, yeah, I think it did. I think we would see it right now if it was there. And me, you know, I'm thinking I know this vehicle well enough to know that that wiper's back there somewhere. But we pulled out of that thing and she was right. It took that wiper clean off that vehicle and we had to go in and they're going to have to get it fixed and such. But and that's aggravating. But I should listen to my wife, you know, and quit being so prideful and thinking that I knew this vehicle so much better than she did. And pride can get in the way of things sometimes. Pride's destroyed relationships. Yes, People have gotten divorced and they blamed it on other things. But really, the problem was pride. Yeah, That's a fact. And it has to be let go. And that also includes our relationship with God. You let pride go unchecked and worship can't be free. You let your pride go unchecked and you can't worship God in freedom like He wants you to. Spiritual gifts can't be loosed in your life like they need to because of pride. God gives you a word for somebody and your pride says... I don't know, really know what they'll think of me, or you know, I, maybe if I don't get it right, somebody will think different of me, or something like that. And so, the power of God's not being able to be loosed in a church or a life because of pride. Pride. The Scripture speaks of the financial condition in Samaria; it, it had reached rock bottom. And to give you a better understanding of how bad rock bottom financially things were the people had turned to cannibalism to satisfy their hunger. That's how bad it is. Now, context matters. Context matters, folks. You wouldn't have realized that if we just read the text and forgot about it, you know. You read ahead a little bit, or read behind, you'll find these things out. There were people turning to cannibalism is how bad of a famine that it was in the day. And... King Jehoram was angry with the prophet, this whole situation at how it had happened. He'd been told he'd been told this is what's going to happen. And he was angry at the prophet. The prophet's just the messenger. And really, it was a result of the king's own leadership that this happened. And it's beautiful to consider the miracle that God was about to perform in the middle of this depression. In this setting, the king of Israel turned to the prophet Elisha for some direction Second Kings chapter seven verse one. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So he's prophesying that there's gonna be food, and there's gonna be people making money off of it. It's gonna happen. And so an officer whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Really, he didn't believe it. And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Some believed the word of God and some some weren't believing of it. And this is really a picture of the gospel message today. It's a symbol of it. Today, you share the gospel with somebody, some folks are going to believe it, some aren't. And that's a fact of life. There's going to be people that don't ever accept it. That reminds me of Moses in his final days because Moses would not believe he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. He chose not to believe. And a mistrust that we have in God is always going to lead to some sort of destruction in our life. We've got to trust God, especially in a day like today. We're being taught to trust God. We're being taught to really, really trust him. So there were some who were sure God wasn't going to do this. And the phrase that says God can't, God's not able, those aren't words that we use. We don't use words like that. But there are some things that God can't do. Come on. God cannot lie. That's right. God cannot lie. The scripture tells us that he's bound to his word. And in this story, the lepers illustrate once again that the word of the Lord will always come to pass. Prophet Isaiah wrote, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. We can rest assured that God is true to his word. Now, you just accept a check for some, some random person on the street. You don't really know if that check's going to clear or not. That's right. But when God gives you a word, you can be sure you can take that to the bank. It's going to work. He's true to his word. And whenever we're questioning why God hadn't responded, we need to turn to this scripture. His word will accomplish that which he sent for. And then we turn to these lepers. Banished to the outskirts of society. Experiencing uh, this whole city. This area is experiencing a depression. The four lepers are the ones that are going to bring salvation. To a nation. They're unlikely. They're unqualified outsiders. That would change the course of a nation. It seems as if it's often that. The people no one would expect God to use are the ones that God decides he's going to use. From Abraham to Jacob, from Gideon to David, God consistently empowered people who did not match the standard of what some would call great. But he used them anyway and he loved them. This is even seen when Jesus went to pick 12 people who were going to be his closest Followers, Jesus called disciples to have significant insight and access to his ministry like nobody else. And religious leaders were astounded. I'm, I'm fixing to really encourage somebody in this room in the word. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You would think that to follow the single most important human being in history, that God would have handpicked the brightest, most genius, enlightened, and capable people who have ever lived. That's not what he did. And it was not merely their education level that the leaders were referring to, but rather the fact that these were common people, fishermen, tax collectors. Some of the lowest considered people in society. These were the people that Jesus drifted to, and yet they were well versed in the Hebrew text and the plan of Jesus. They knew what was going to happen. No doubt the Pharisees, you know, these upscale religious men that were standing around. They were thinking if the Messiah is going to choose a close follower. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be me. You know, I've, I've studied this all my life. I know it better than anybody out there. You know, and I make sure that I'm living everything so people can see that. I want to be observed in that way. So I'll be the one. They would have thought it would have been them. But no, that's not what God did. He chose fishermen and tax collectors. And He used them greatly. And He started a powerful, awesome, world-sweeping movement with men and women just like you and me. That's the people that He chose. And so if you're feeling subdued today... And uh, timid and unfit to be used by God. You think I'm ignorant and I'm unlearned. Or I'm just a small person in society. God can and will and most definitely wants to use you. Amen. You're Amen. the person He's looking for. Yes. Amen. You might be ignorant. You might be unlearned. That's okay. You might have the lowest job in your community. God's looking to use you. Now, what motivated these lepers? The driving force can be summed up in the question that they considered. They said, why stay here until we die? In other words, how can this thing get any worse? boy, it seems like we could be that person today sitting there thinking, why sit here until we die? This world may not get any worse. Why don't we just see what the Lord will do? They no longer feared, feared, feared the consequence of death. The fear of death couldn't hold them back. Often people allow fear to hold them hostage what god wants them to do and fear is a major factor in every single life decision a person makes fear can be a good thing at times it can end up motivating you to protect your family out of fear for your children you know your spouse a healthy fear will let us know when something is wrong and it'll ensure that our children and loved ones are cared for and safe but sometimes fear is just irrational and it can stop us from doing what we need to do Let me give you a good example. This very week, I woke up in the morning and I start my morning ritual and I make my coffee and I get all my stuff together and I get cleaned up and get dressed and I'm about to go out the door. Now, sometimes when I get up, I'll be totally transparent with everybody in this room. I'm about 25% awake. And on this particular morning, I was about 20% awake. And I had all my stuff together, and I was at 20% walking out the front door. I had my coffee in this hand. I had my bag over my shoulder. And I opened up the front door of our house, and I was greeted so kindly by a cicada to the face. Y'all are like, why does the craziest thing happen to this guy? I'm serious. And I didn't know what it was at the time. All I know is I opened up that door and something loud and buzzing smacked me right in the center of the face. And so if somebody was had been sitting this early across the road facing our house, they'd have got a show. Because I didn't know what it was a wasp. That's the first thing in my mind. And so my coffee goes this way, and my bag goes that way, and I go that way. And I throw it everywhere. And I'm swinging my arms, you know. And if I would realized that it was just a cicada, which scares some people anyway, and it wasn't a wasp, I'd have known that I could have just stood still and been all right. But the thing I'm hitting it and it's flying all over me. And fear, fear blocked my vision from what was going on. I was going to come out alive that day. I thought I wouldn't. Felt like I wouldn't, felt like the world was coming apart at the seams, but I was going to be all right. You know, fear and, and something like that. Now I was awake after that. I was at 110%, but fear will stop us from realizing what, what is really going on, how we need to react, That's what we need right. to do. That's right. And sometimes it's Irrational. It can be unhealthy and irrational. The spirit of fear can gain strength if it's unchecked in our life. Scripture says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. It's not of God. And there's an absolute pandemic in our world right now. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about fear. That's That's gripping people by the neck and bringing them down we got to make up in our minds that fear is not going to hinder the progress in the kingdom of God Amen. that He's wanting. Amen. The world's going to change around us, but the plan of God will never change. That's right. And His mission for the church is not going to change. we got to adapt and figure out how we're going to do it in the midst of it, but we can't act in fear and, and throw it all out the door. That's right. We've still got a mission. And we need to do like those lepers who looked at each other sitting in a nation that was falling in shambles all around them and say, Why sit here until we die? Let's see what God will do today. Amen. Yeah, we could sit here in the middle of it, we could let it fall around us. But why not see what God will do anyway? That was their attitude. And lepers made the decision that the best thing they could do would be to surrender to the army of the Syrians and take their chances. See what would happen. Each day we make decisions. We make hundreds if not thousands of decisions. Some of them small. Some of them we don't take into consideration. And the recipe for success in life is to hopefully make the right decisions along the way. And one study showed that the cascade of choices a person evaluates every day actually leads to what psychologists refer to as a decision fatigue. But here in Arkansas, we call it, you just need a vacation. Making too many decisions too often and you haven't had a break from it. Sometimes you need to sit and not do anything for a while. That that was part of the idea behind the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. You need, you need some time where you can rest. And one thing rings true and is important to understand. Not all decisions are created equal. For example, choosing a spouse doesn't involve the same thing as choosing a toothbrush. Some people will take into account things as small as that, but you know... Me and Sister Kirsten were talking this week about you know the decisions that really need to go into somebody getting married. And how a lot of times the decisions today that people take into account is am I attracted to them? And that's pretty much the end of it. But you know that the Jewish culture was, well, to begin with, the family usually set up the marriage. But the way they set it up was is it compatible? Is it going to work out? Do they match financially, by personality, socially, by age? And they took into you know a lot of things into account. And today we have just kind of drawn it down in society to: Am I attracted to them? Well, hopefully you are. You know that that'd be a good thing. So I mean, you can start with that. But you know, how about how many kids do they want? Do they want to have kids? Uh, How far in debt are they? Now that sounds like really, you know, things that are outside what we should be considering, but you know what? You get married to them and you live for a while and you find out about those things, you'll think, man, I should have thought about that earlier. When you're paying a $500 payment on a dirt bike, you didn't want, you know. You say, well, they're going to college. You know, well, what are they going for? That might be important. If they've got a degree in underwater basket weaving, (laughs) might not be, you know, (laughs) decisions are important. Praise God. These four lepers were faced with a decision that would determine the fate of their lives and an an entire nation. Understanding the gravity of our decisions is important. And there may be choices we'll make today that will set us on a path for where we're going to be a year from now. And that's why every decision, when you come up against temptation, oh, it is important the decision that you make. So it's a small thing. It may be now, but it builds up. Yes. It builds up and it creates the state of a life. Decisions. I'm going to read you from Second Kings chapter 7, verse 5 and 6 from our text. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses. The noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. I'm amazed by this story in Scripture because God will always fight for His people. They made a decision, why sit here until we die? And God turned around and responded to that and said, I'm going to run them armies off and they're going to leave everything behind. It shows that God is more than just in our corner. He'll fight for us. He'll really fight for us. Standing on the edge of a promised land, the children of Israel saw an enemy of great power occupying their destiny. And in the midst of their fear, there were two men that come up by the name of Joshua and Caleb and told them about all the wonderful things that was in that land. I preached a message about this a couple years ago called, Don't Forget the Grapes. Because you remember, they come in from that promised land and they had massive grapes with them to show the proof that this is the place God promised. It's there and it's waiting on us. They brought in these grapes that took, I, I believe the scripture said it, took two guys with a pole in between to carry the grapes into the camp. Evidence. What God has given us. But you know that there was some fellas... That after they had heard everything God promised, and now they've seen it before their eyes, Brother March, These folks said, yeah, but there's giants over there. And we're probably not going to be able to withstand them. And somewhere, somewhere off in a corner was the biggest grapes anybody had ever seen forgotten about. Why? Because of an evil report. And they didn't believe that God was going to fight for them. We can't forget that even in today, we're not understand, we don't understand everything that's going on. We've got a God that fights for us. Amen. We've got a God that fights for us. We're not just one family or one church We've got a God that's fighting for us that's right. and protecting us and watching over us everywhere we go. That ought to lift somebody up and encourage them today. The word that they spoke to the children of Israel was consistent. You must not fear them for the Lord, your God himself, fights for you. You can't accept an evil report. Verses 7 and 8, Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Talking about these lepers. And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Something that is common about God is that the hungry always seem to get his attention. Somebody hear me this morning. The hungry get God's attention. Amen. Amen. Matthew 5 and 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not just those that are around in proximity of God, but those that are hungry for God. Those are the ones that will be filled. Amen. And so, you you got got a need this morning. You come into the house of God. The best course of action that I can recommend for you you is to get hungry. Get hungry for the things of God. Amen. And seek Him. Seek Him because when you do, it's very hard for Him not to respond. Both physically and spiritually, it would seem God can't resist those who hunger and thirst. That grace and compassion is best seen in what He did at Calvary. This, the whole Bible, it seems, is a response from God to those that are hungry for something more. And He gives mercy and grace and compassion. In this story, we see a small example of what happens when people are in need. God responds to the hungry. Amen. And Psalm 37 and verse 25 will tell us, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Amen. And there's a man by the name of David that would write something like that, who's described as a man after God's own heart. He was hungry. Yes. And as a righteous man, he was never forsaken by God because he was You may not do everything right all the time. But if you can remain hungry. If you can remain hungry for God. It will make all the difference. Something I picked up from scripture here. These four lepers fed themselves first. Before anybody else. Before taking the information of what had happened to anybody. You know, when traveling in an airplane, a flight attendant will come across an intercom and they'll tell you, they'll announce, in the case of an emergency, be sure to secure your oxygen mask before assisting other passengers. Because the number one thing you want to hear when you're nervous about the flight anyway is what to do when you're spiraling toward your death. Some instruction on that. But they tell you that because they want you to be in a good enough condition where you can help somebody else in need. If you can't breathe, you ain't going to be able to do it. Basically, they're saying to help yourself first because you're no good to anyone if you're not taking care of yourself. That's what happened in the scripture with these lepers. They needed fed before everybody else needed fed. And in carrying the gospel to the world, you got to make sure that you're saved before you make somebody else saved. Amen. You got to make sure your house is in order like it needs to be before you go and try to help somebody else out with their house. Amen. And so we we, we consider our own family and our own soul, our own lives. This principle was clear. With the greatest commandment we find in Scripture. Jesus asked what, was asked what He's considered was the greatest commandment. And He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then He gave the second greatest, which was love your neighbor as yourself. So, you get, you know, get yourself in order and love me. And then go find somebody else that you can help to love me. It's important to note that we got to be focused on our own salvation before we focus on the salvation of the world. Amen. And then they said to one another, this is, this is the key verse, the key verse today, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. Now I'm going to bring this home real quick, but I got something I, I feel like I need to speak this morning. I, I really feel it down in my spirit. The lepers were in a spot where they were going to have to decide, just like Joshua and Caleb. What they were going to do according to the evidence that was before them. On the one hand, they were lepers. They were homeless. They were outcasts. They were considered the lowest in society. Are they going to stick with that and live on those things? Or were they going to rejoice in what God was doing through them in the moment? It's all a matter of what they decided to look at. What are you going to look at in life? What are you going to look at? There's a scripture that that they used to preach all of the time. And I'm going to preach this morning because it's the same message. Psalm 101 and 3 says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. We need to stop looking at the wrong thing in the world today. That's right. The outcasts had everything bad they could have talked about if they wanted to. If they wanted to talk about all that and focus on it, they had ample opportunity and all of the content that they needed to talk about. But they chose to speak of the good thing that God was doing today. Today. There's a lot of bad that you can look at in the world at this very moment right now. You can find as much content as you want to. As many news stories as you need. As many Facebook posts as you can possibly scroll through that are all about the bad. There are tons of people and accounts online that all that they do is upload content about the evil that's going on. And that can plague you. And there are Christians, apostolics, that they are far more concerned with the latest news and the latest drama and sharing the latest with somebody. And a lot of it is small things that all it does, all it serves to do is to pull us away from revival. Devil don't have to make you sin, but if he can get you distracted... that will be enough. Amen. It'll pull us away from revival. And it'll get you away from the positive of the God that's working in our world. But there was somebody that said a good while ago. Accentuate the positive. I believe he was a doctor. Nobody in this room may get that, but you look up that phrase, accentuate the positive, and you might understand what I'm talking about. we got to accentuate the positive in the world. And the positive that's going on in this world is that people are being saved, and God has a revival that He wants to do. Hey, we got to get our eyes off of things that are distractions. Amen. Things that don't matter and serve to take away from revival. Because there are weights that work so easily beset us. The scripture said, lay aside all those weights. So that God's revival can fly high. That's where we want to be. We need to talk about what God's doing and not what's happening in the world. There's a song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim." in the light of His glory and grace. I want to stop looking at everything going on and look more into the face of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If I could just get a glimpse of Him. Amen. He made a man in the Bible glow just a look at, at the Savior at God. I want to get a real good look at Jesus today. That's right. Because I've had enough of looking at everything else. Amen. I've got plenty of that today. I need to see Jesus. Amen. Amen. And they went and shared the news of what God had done. They didn't focus on the rest. They shared the good news. Because the people of God have the good news. You have the good news. Hungry people are roaming the earth looking for anything to satisfy their appetite and quench their thirst. They've tried everything the world has to offer. And they're still simply empty. Just people walking. Walking in our world lost. And we don't always get the gravity of that. But I, today I, feel, I, I felt a sermon come to me that was preached years ago. An impacting sermon that's touched the lives of thousands of people. And it was called the Death March. It was preached by Brother V.A. Guidro. He's passed away now. But I'm going to read to you. He talked about people that were marching through this world. Blase. In a state of ease. And happiness. And they're marching the wrong way. This is what he preached. I'm going to read it to you. I wish I had audio that I could let you hear today. And he sort of sang it. It Drove people to an altar quicker than you can blink. He preached this. To hell we go. To hell we go. To hell we go. Marching, marching, marching. To hell we go. We're going to hell. Why are we marching? We're going to hell. Merrily, we go to hell. That's hard to hear this morning. But... I'm speaking the truth to you. There's folks that are doing just that. And if we get so focused. If we get so focused on the distractions. The disease. The pestilence. The division going on in our world. That we're so gripped that we can't focus on the good news. That those people are searching for. And they're fighting amongst themselves. And ripping them apart in streets. Because they're searching, searching, and nothing's fulfilling. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to get this good news to those people. Yes, they may. I, I'm not come to bring you down today or put a damper on your life, but I am here to say you've got good news. You've got what God wants to be handed to the world. And there's folks marching merrily. I have to have the understanding and the sight and the realization that what I'm living, what I'm carrying, is not just another flavor of Kool Aid or another lifestyle. It's what they're hungry for. Amen. It's what they need. It's what they want. Would you stand with me this morning? I know that's heavy. I know that's heavy and I know it's difficult. And you may feel a weight on your spirit hearing that today, but you know what? I hope you do. I hope you do. The church has to have a burden and a weight on their spirit. That's my job this morning. Not the most pleasant thing, but I want to wait to get on your spirit about what we're carrying. This ain't just another book, it's the answer. It's the answer. It's what they need. Far be it for me to be distracted in this world I'm living in. It's got to be the center of my life. If you feel that burden this morning, if you feel that, I want you to pray right now. Come on, all across this room. I'll, would you just lift a hand up? Lift a hand up to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift a hand up to God. You ain't just got to feel bad about all that. You ain't just got to feel in worry or or disgust at the state of our world. What the Bible says is that godly sorrow works repentance. You can ask God today, Lord, make me the messenger that You want me to be in the world. Help me serve You, God. Help me live for You, Jesus, and be an example. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Lord, help me to see the people that are marching, marching, marching merrily. And reach out to them and be an example to them. And show them what they need. And hand off this mighty, wonderful Word that's life-changing, it's life-saving, it's uplifting, it's empowering. It's the power of the Holy Ghost Unto repentance. Help me to see it, Lord, and realize again my job in this earth, this short time that I'm here. Lord, I may just be a vapor in the earth, but I'm going to be a vapor that's put to use for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to have a break real quick, but before we do, I want you to it's it's come to my attention Sister Wilson's not feeling well. I, I wish right now that you would I don't think she's in the room right she may be in the back, but I wish that you just kinda of lift your hand back that direction and pray healing. Pray healing in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Touch the Lord. You're a healing God. You're a healing God. Touch her body, Jesus. Give her strength, Lord. Give her peace. Allow her to worship in the house of God at peace today, Lord. Amen. Let peace come over her body, Jesus. Calm that storm.